It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, this morning for uh, Daily Thunder, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'd love for you to turn there with me. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5. And uh, as you're turning there, let's just pray and set this time in the hands of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we love you. Just thank you for this morning. Thank you just for this phenomenal weather and just what you have in store for this day. God, I just pray that we would come into this day with expectation and anticipation for all that you're wanting to do and accomplish in and through our lives. Uh, Lord, we just set this time in your hands and just ask that you would that you would just anoint your word and that you would speak mightily through it, that you would somehow grip our lives and our hearts and our minds and somehow pull us into greater depth of understanding and intimacy. I pray that just the, the truth of this concept would just somehow embed itself in our lives. So Lord, would you just use this just to freshen our lives, to press us unto you. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 is rather a powerful section uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, as, you get, as, you, as you're walking through 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel is basically the story of Saul, and at the very end of 1 Samuel, so even though David shows up in 1 Samuel, it's really the kingship of Saul. And as you get out of the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul dies on Mount Toboa, and, and here, here, here's all this pomp and circumstance with the, with the battle. And, the, of course, the Amalekite comes to David in chapter 1 and says, Hey, Saul just died, and now you're king. And, and chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, David is anointed king, but he's not anointed king over all of Israel. Uh, in fact, uh, one of Saul's sons is still king over the, over the uh, big portion of Israel, and David kind of takes part of Israel and uh, makes his headquarters on this little mountain called Hebron. Uh, seven and a half years later, uh, the son of Saul dies, and at the beginning of chapter 5, David is anointed king over all of Israel. All of Israel comes together and anoints David king over the whole land and says, okay, you are the king. Now, just want you to ponder this for a second. David, all the way up to this point, has been the true and rightful king. Now, Saul's been on the throne up to this point. And yet David, the anointed king, he's the true and right king. And yet he is living as the true and proper king under the rule of a usurper in a sense it's a king who would not step down now i don't know and i know eric's been talking through this a little bit but it's a beautiful picture of the whole idea of flesh and spirit that that here is a true and rightful king and he actually deserves to sit upon the throne and now finally in chapter five he is king overall now it's fascinating the moment that david is anointed king overall something shifts and takes place And if you look at verse 17 of chapter 5, it says that when the Philistines heard that they anointed David king over all of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. It's interesting that what is taking place in the physical realities of the Old Testament is a picture of the internal realities of the New Covenant. Uh, In other words, as you come to the Old Testament... You have this story, and you have this history, and you have this encounter. Did these actually take place? We got one person out there who's, <laughs> who's confident in the word. All right, good. 
So as you come in the Old Testament, you have this event, and you have this history, and you have this encounter. Did these actually take place? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I was getting concerned. And yet, while it is historical, while it actually took place, while these events really did happen, do you realize that God is using this in the physical reality as a picture of the internal reality that you and I get to experience in the New Covenant? I mean, just, just think about this practically. You have a throne, as we've been walking through this week. And there is someone sitting upon the throne who is not the true and rightful king. That man needs to get off the throne. And who needs to sit upon the throne? The true and rightful king. His name is Jesus. And haven't you noticed that the moment that the true and rightful king sits upon the throne of our life, it's like all these enemies begin to rise up within us and say, No! Haven't you experienced that? Where it's like you take a step forward in your spiritual life, and suddenly it's like, what is going on? It's like, I didn't have all this noise. I didn't have all this conflict. I didn't have all this pressure up to this point. And now I'm, I'm making strides in my life with Jesus, and now it's like these enemies are saying, we're not going to stand for it. Think about what David's going through. Here is the true and rightful king. He sits upon the throne. And the moment that the true and rightful king sits upon the throne... The Philistines, the biggest enemy of Israel at the time, rises up and says, we will not stand for this. And they come up against David. And it says, if you continue in verse 17, uh, it says they went up to search for David, but David heard about this <laughs> and went down to the stronghold. Now, what I like to do is I want to walk you through this passage because I think it's just beautiful. But let me just read it first, just so, you're, just, just so you have it in mind, then we'll go back through it. Is that okay? So again, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over all of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard about this and went down into the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and were spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, because I will certainly deliver them into your hand. So David came to Belperazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord is breached through my enemies like the bursting of tides. Therefore, he named that place Belperazim. What a powerful passage. David is the rightful king, sits upon the throne. These enemies rise up, and they find themselves in this valley called the Valley of the Rephaim. Now, it's interesting that when you do a study on this idea of the Valley of the Rephaim, it really is just simply the, the Valley of Giants. Uh, the Rephaim, if you trace their line back through, it's just one of the lines of the giants. And a lot of scholars presume by this point it likely was uninhabited. But obviously all the ruins and all that kind of stuff of the giants was still around. So as the Philistines come into this land, this, this valley of the Rephaim, it's a place of intimidation. It's, a, it's like the Philistines show up and say, David, we are taunting you. Come over here. Come over here. We want to fight you. And we want to fight you right here. Why? Intimidation. Uh, there's, a, there's a movie, I'm not recommending it, but there's a movie that, when I was a little kid that I just, I really loved. It was called The Little Giants. It's an old Disney film. And uh, the premise is rather dumb, but basically there's a small town, and in the small town there was this peewee football league. And all the strong, muscular, you know, Philip Hartman, oh, kind of guys were, were, on, were on the peewee football team. And uh, then we had all these nerds like Nathan over here, who 
who wanted to be on, on the Pee Wee football team, but they were, they were not chosen because they were the nerdy group. And so the nerdy group got together and said, you know what, let's just start our own team. And so they get the dad of one of the nerdy guys to be the coach, and he doesn't know anything about football, but hey, let's just have fun and go out there and play. And, and this dad and the guy over in charge of this team, they have a head-to-head, and they say, look, uh, the, the peewee guy says, hey, you cannot have two football teams for the town. You're only allowed to have one team for the, for the town. And this guy says, well, hey, we should have the right to at least try to win and be the football team. And the guy's like, you, you got nothing. You cannot win. We have all the strong guys. Oh, Philip Hartman's on our team. You have Nathan. And so the, the nerdy dad says, hey, well, let's have a playoff. And whoever wins that game will be the official team for the town. And this guy's like, whatever, fine. And so you see them practicing, and, you know, they're, they're doing push-ups and sit-ups, and they're running and doing drills, and, and these guys are, and there's a scene where he's trying to do a pull-up. <laughs> and then the camera pulls back, and he's doing it on a chair. <laughs> that would be me. And <laughs> finally, it's, it's the day of the big game. And uh, you, you know just as well as I that this team has no chance. They don't know football. They don't look like football. They don't smell like football. There's just, there's nothing that, there's nothing football. Right? They're nerds. So what chance does this team have to do anything? They don't. So they start to use their minds. And the only option they've got is, well, we have to intimidate them. Now think about this. You have these big football players against there's no intimidation. So these guys come on the field and they painted their faces. But my favorite scene of the whole thing, uh, they, ha- they have to make this next play. I mean, they just have to make it. And so they get in their little huddle and they're looking at each other and one of the boys starts passing out Alka-Seltzers. And they, they look at each other like, all right, let's do this. Break! And they all pop the Alka-Seltzer. And they get onto the line, and they're looking at the other team, and they start to growl, Arr! and foam starts blowing <laughs> out of their mouth. And, <clears throat> and here are these mad dog kids of some sort that just went crazy, and, and they won the play. Now, how did they win the play? Not because they had any talent. Not because they had any ability. It was intimidation. You realize that's what the Philistines are doing here? You're going against the God of the universe. You don't have a chance. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to leverage as much as possible, and so they choose a place called the Valley of the Giants to hopefully intimidate David and his crew. So David and his mighty men and and, and the army comes, and they come to the Valley of the Rephium, and here's this entire army. In fact, the passage, according to chapter or uh, verse 17, makes it sound like the entire phys- uh, the Philistine army comes out against David. That they literally called up all the forces. Hey, all the reserves. Hey, everyone's coming to fight on this thing. Why? Because we're not going to stand for David being the king. And they deploy themselves in the Valley of the Rephium. Now, David looks down upon this entire scene. <clears throat> and in verse 19, David asks the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them 
into my hand. David says, I don't want to just presume upon you, O Lord. What is it that you want to do here? Which is a great principle for living, by the way. And listen to how God responds to David. It says at the end of verse 19, the Lord said to David, go up, because I will doubtlessly deliver them into your hand. That word there, doubtlessly deliver them, it might be my favorite Hebrew word. It is the verb form of the word Nathan. That's a great word. That is awesome. Now, the word Nathan in Hebrew has this idea of a gift or a gift from God, which I thought my mom did well with that. And when you take this idea of a gift or giving something and you turn it into a verb, that's this idea of doubtlessly deliver. Now, when you get into this idea of doubtlessly deliver, the Hebrew paints, gives you kind of like three aspects or three ideas with this idea of doubtlessly deliver. Uh, the first one uh, is that of like the stars in the sky. It's almost like God looks at David and says, David, hey, look up into the sky. You know that on a bright, I mean, on, on a clear day, or sorry, not a clear day, on a clear evening, when there's no clouds, you'll see stars. Hey, you know that this morning, sun's going to pop up over the horizon. Did anybody wake up this morning and go, oh, I wonder if the sun's going to come up today? No, why? Because you can bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun, right? <laughs> Could break out in a song if you want to, but... Tomorrow, tomorrow, right? Hey, hey, we know that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Hey, there's no doubt in our minds that, hey, there is, there is absolutely no doubt that the sun's coming up. Why? Because the sun always comes up. And it's like God looking at David saying, David, just as you know that there's going to be stars in the sky, just as you know that the sun is going to come up every morning, I promise you, I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Now, the other connotation is like that of a promise. It kind of goes back to the same idea that when God looked at Abraham and gave a promise. Hey, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or as the sand on the seashore. Do you realize that David is living in the time of fulfillment of that? That as he looks around, there, there are millions of Israelites. So, so many, in fact, that can't be counted. And it's like God looking at David saying, David, you know that I have promised Abraham, and I have fulfilled that promise in your midst. So just as I have promised Abraham, and that came to, came to fruition, David, I promise you, I will doubtlessly deliver the Philistines into your hands. Uh, the third connotation is that like of a fruit tree. Uh, you know that at a certain time of the year, if it's a healthy fruit tree, without a doubt, a fruit tree will produce fruit. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to wish for it. This is not a grit your teeth and pull this thing off. There, there, will be, there will be fruit. And it's like God looking at David saying, David, hey, I promise you, buddy, I promise you that just as the sun is coming up in the morning, hey, just as the promise I made to Abraham has come to fruition, hey, just as you know that you can go to a fruit tree at a certain time of the year and there will be fruit, hey, David, I promise you, without a doubt, I will doubtlessly deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now, here's the question. If this entire army is coming out against you, but God himself has promised, I will doubtlessly deliver them into your hands. How would you march into battle? 
wouldn't you just go with a smile on your face? Wouldn't you just go with a skip in your step? Wouldn't you? In fact, I've thought for years that if I was David, I would have looked at my army and said, take the day off. <laughs> yeah, just sit this one out. Why? Because, hey, God can win with many or with few. Hey, Jonathan proved that. And hey, if God has doubtlessly del- promised to, to, to deliver them into our hands, I'll go out on the battlefield and just see what happens. Now, he didn't do that, but that's what I would have done. But could you imagine the confidence that you can march into a battle knowing that God is standing with you? Do you realize the confidence that you can have when God has promised, hey, your enemy is coming down? By the way, do you realize biblically he has promised that your enemy is coming down? That your enemy has no grip in your life? That he has no more power as long as you remain in Christ Jesus? Do you realize that you do not have to be intimidated by the enemies that push you around? That when temptation shows up in your life, you do not have to be like, oh no, what am I going to do? You have the victor at your side. In fact, he lives inside of you via the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the confidence that you can live in this life if you know that, man, God is with me and he has promised to remove the junk and the enemies in my life? Now, that doesn't mean you don't have problems, right? (laughs) Because you're going to have problems. But you can have confidence in the midst of the difficulties. That's awesome. So David goes out and he has this phenomenal battle. It says in verse 20, David came to Belperazim and David defeated them there. I wish I gave more details, but that's all we know. And listen to what David says. He says, the Lord has breached my enemies before me like the bursting of tides. Therefore, he named that place Belperazim. The land that was always known as the Valley of Giants, the place that was always known as the place of intimidation, the the place that was always known as we probably shouldn't go there because who knows if there's a giant soul, like he came home from vacation, was getting something from the old closet, and oh no, there he is. Hey, the, the place where we're not so sure what's going on. Hey, the place where the Israelites were always intimidated. Hey, the place that was always full of enemy faction. David says, that place is no longer going to be called the place of the enemy. That place is no longer going to be known as a place of intimidation. That place is no longer going to be known as a place of defeat. And David renamed the place from the Valley of the Rephaim to Belperazim. The word Belperazim, just an awesome word. The word Perazim literally means a breakthrough. Uh, Perez, if you think about the, uh, the son of Judah, they named him Perez. Why? Because in the childbirth, there was a breakthrough. And they're like, whoa, this child is breaking through. So they named him Perez, which means breakthrough. That, that word Perez or Perazim has this idea. It gives, it gives really two pictures. One is, is that of the childbirth thing. And I've never been pregnant, praise the Lord. Uh, but I've been told that in child, childbearing, there comes a point where even if the lady wants to keep the child inside, it's coming. There is a breakthrough. It is coming forth. That's this idea. Uh, the other idea this paints is like that of a, um, have you ever seen those old reservoirs and there's a dam in front, there's a reservoir in the back, big lake? And in the cartoons, of course, there's always a little crack and so the water starts, right? So the cartoon character goes up and sticks his finger in it. And then there's a, over here, another little spray, and so it's like, right? And then after a few moments, the thing starts to shake, 
and all the water breaks through. That's this word. And David is looking at what God has done at this place. That, wow, look how God defeated our enemies. Now, he was involved. He was participating in the battle. But he's giving all the credit unto God. And he says, hey, God promised, and he broke through my enemies. And no longer is this place going to be known as the Valley of the Rephium, the Valley of Giants, the Valley of Intimidation, the Valley of Fear. This location is now going to be called Bel Perazim, which a literal translation would be the master of breakthroughs. Or God is the one who breaks through. Wouldn't it be amazing in your life if your life, which was always marked by sin and identified by sin and the flesh and junk, a place of fear and intimidation, a place where the enemy has a stronghold, wouldn't it be amazing if your life could be renamed? Where God does such a, an amazing work in and through your life that you say, you know what, this, this location can no longer be known as the Valley of Giants. Hey, this location can no longer be known as a place of intimidation. Hey, this location can no longer be known as a place of fear. Hey, this location is no longer known as a place where the enemy has a grip. This is a place where God is the master of breakthroughs. Do you realize that God doesn't just break through? I lock my keys in the car. I call a locksmith. The locksmith comes out and he pops my card and does whatever he does and I pay him $100 and I say, I'm never going to do that again because <laughs> that's expensive. I have a safe that I need to get into, le legally. <laughs> I have a safe. I don't call a locksmith. Why? Because locksmiths, I mean, they can open car doors, but locksmiths, most of them can't get into safes. I have to call a master locksmith. What's a master locksmith? A master locksmith is a locksmith who can get into anything. That's scary. But they can get into anything. Do you realize that God is not merely a God of breakthroughs? He is a God who is the master of breakthroughs. Give him any scenario, any situation, any problem, any difficulty, anything, he can break through. He's not intimidated. He's not pushed around. Do you realize that he doesn't look at your problems and your situation and your finances and your whatever? He, he's not looking at those things going, oh, no. What are we going to do? Oh, this is a problem. <laughs> this, is, this is a little overwhelming. Good luck. <laughs> God doesn't do that. Are you kidding? God looks at your stuff and goes, why are you stressed? Didn't I tell you not to worry? Didn't I tell you not to fear? Didn't I just tell peace, peace, just peace? Why? Because I can break through. Hey, you have a financial problem? I can break through. You have a, fina uh, a financial crisis? Break through. Family crisis, I can break through. Economy problems, I can break through. Political stuff, I can break through. Like, what, what could you give God where he could not break through? He's not just a God of breakthroughs. He's a master of breakthroughs. Isn't that encouraging? Tell your faces. I mean, that's encouraging. <laughs> Do you realize that you can face problems with confidence and peace and hope because you have the master of breakthroughs. Now, over the last several mornings, we've been talking about prayer. Do 
Do you realize if you took this concept and applied it to prayer, it will change your prayer life? That when we pray, we are not praying to a God that, well, could you maybe, possibly, could you sum up all this up? So oftentimes in our praying, it's interesting, we pray with uncertainty. We pray with question. We pray with, God, I'm not so sure if you can do this, but I'm going to throw it out there just in case you want to. Wouldn't it be interesting if we realized that the God to whom we are praying to is the master of breakthroughs? That when we come with a problem or we come with a crisis or we come with a scenario or we come with this whatever, that it's not, God, could you, could, is there any way you could do something here? But rather say, God, I know that you are the master of breakthroughs. Which means if this is according to your will, I know without a doubt that you can come through and doubtlessly deliver. I know that you can come through and bring forth victory and freedom. Hey, I know without a doubt because I know to whom I am praying. Can I encourage you as we continue to pray throughout this, this morning but also throughout the semester? Don't pr- we're not praying to some passive, weak, anemic God. We are praying to the God of the universe. We are praying to the one who holds all things within his hand. We, we are praying to the one who has already conquered sin, death, and the grave. Hey, we are praying to the one who is the victor of all victors. Hey, we are praying to the one who has triumphed over all things. Hey, we are praying to the one where all things come beneath his feet. Hey, we are praying to the one who is the master of breakthroughs. So we can pray with confidence. We can pray with boldness because we know to whom we are praying. So we're going to transition into a time of prayer. Pray boldly. Because he is the master of breakthroughs. And can I freshly encourage you, if you still have aspects of your life that are full of fear and intimidation, of enemy faction and grip, if you have a valley of giants, a part of your soul, let Jesus at it. Because he wants to break through, like a breakthrough of waters in your life. And rename your life something from something that the enemy holds to a reflection of the glory and the majesty and the freedom and the triumph of our King. You are known as a Christian. You have been renamed from the valley of the Rephium, the valley of the giants, a place of intimidation, to I am a Christian, the one to whom God indwells. The victor of all victors lives here. That's exciting. Let's pray. Jesus, God, thank you that you are the master of breakthroughs and that there is no situation in my life or in this country or in this world that you can't come through on. And yes, we are called to pray. And yes, we're called to travail. And yes, we're called to tarry. And I understand, Lord, it doesn't mean we're going to have instantaneous answers. But Lord, when we come to you in prayer, may we realize to whom we are praying to. We are praying to the God of the universe. Lord, you are over all. All things come beneath your feet. So therefore, when we come into the throne room, we can come boldly and with confidence. Because we're not just making some petition to someone that we have no idea or no relationship with. We are coming to the one to whom we love. We are coming to the one who lives inside of us. We are coming to the one whom we have intimacy with, and we know who you are. 
You are the master of breakthroughs. Lord, thank you for being the master of breakthroughs in our lives. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.